The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Most of you have probably heard of motivational speakers. Uh, they've become quite popular in recent years. Uh, some of them write books which become bestsellers. Uh, motivational speakers uh, generally specialize in different things. Even some large businesses will send their employees to hear motivational speakers so that they can be a better employee. And I certainly wouldn't suggest that everything that they have to say is bad because there's uh, those that I've listened to or read after that uh, had some good things to say. But usually the problem with a motivational speaker is that the focus is on man. And most of them don't realize that man's really the problem. And most of them approach it as if you have the answers. And we're going to show you what the answers are. We're going to help you feel good about yourself. We're going to give you uh, self-confidence, a sense of self-worth. We're going to help you have a positive attitude toward life. Sometimes this even bleeds over into the religious world. Uh, most of you have heard of uh, Joel Osteen, who wrote a book called Your Best Life Now, and it was a bestseller, and there are religions like that that will promote uh, humanistic ideas and uh, sprinkle a verse here and there to make it sound like it's a Christian approach. So tonight I want to give you a motivational speech for Christians, and I simply want to entitle it, The Christian's Motivation. And I want to read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Now, the one thing about this is that is similar to a motivational speech in terms of what the world would think of is that Paul gives you some information about Christ and then states how that should motivate us and affect our lives in a positive way. So Christians don't need to listen to the motivational speakers of this world and again I want to say not everything they say is bad let me clarify it this way when it comes to your philosophy toward life you don't need to go to the motivational speakers of this world 
You need to go to the best motivational speaker that has ever or will ever live. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Notice here he says, the love of Christ constraineth us. Now that word constraineth is the word from which I get the idea of motivation because that's mostly what it means. If you look it up in uh, the uh, old Oxford English Dictionary based on historical principles where they define words with regard to what they mean at a particular time, you can get some pretty good definitions that are in agreement with how it's to be used and understood in the King James Bible. Because in that dictionary you'll, that you'll find, well, in this year, uh, here's how that word was primarily used. Or maybe uh, in this time period, here's what they meant when they used that word. Well, if you look this word up in terms of how it was used in the uh, 17th century, it means to compel, to urge, or to bind by oath. To compel, to urge, or to bind by oath. That is to obligate yourself. And so that's where I get the idea of motivation. The love of Christ urges us. The love of Christ motivates us. And that should be our core, central, primary motivation for all of life. See, unlike the motivation that this world would offer, here's a motivation that will apply no matter what the situation is. If you listen to the motivational speakers of this world, they may say, well, if you follow these steps, you'll be successful You'll be happy. Well, uh, what if you find yourself in a situation where you're not happy, where you're not successful, and maybe you've tried to do what they taught you to do? So we need to recognize that God's Word uh, is applicable and it is a solution to all the struggles we face. The love of Christ constraineth us. Now, let's see what the love of Christ is all about. First of all, in John chapter 15 and verse 13, notice what Jesus says. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And notice here he's talking about man and his relationship with his friends. And he says, with regard to man and his relationship with his friends, you won't find a greater love between two friends than that relationship in which one of them is willing to sacrifice his life to save his friend from danger. You know, and we hear about that once in a while in the news where uh, someone sacrificed their life 
to save someone else's life. But the love of Christ for his people is far beyond that. Look at Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 8. And here is a description of the love of Christ which motivates or constrains those that understand, as Brother John Morgan so clearly preached this morning, that they are a subject of the love of Christ. They're an object of his love. Those that realize that they're unworthy of the least of his mercies, yet nonetheless they're an object of his love, that indeed should motivate them. When you consider the kind of love that Christ has. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now that's a deeper love than love between fellow men who would lay down his life for his friends. Here we have the sinless Son of God, and in Him God commended His love toward us in that the sinless Savior died for sinners. That's greater than the love that one would have toward his fellow man or his friend. But then notice as we go on, Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, now think about that. We weren't just sinners. Now it involves an active opposition to Christ himself. You know, I might die for my fellow man. It had to be someone I really cared a lot about. I might die for him. I might die for someone that I don't feel like really a a good person as far as the way they uh, live their life. That, That would take a lot of love, wouldn't it? For someone that wasn't really living a good life and they were in danger and you were willing to sacrifice your life for them. But it's a lot more... When you die for someone that is actively opposed to you and would harm you if they could. I don't think I'd die for that man. How about you? A man that wanted to harm me or harm my family. I don't think I'd be willing to die for that man. But this says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now listen to that. We were his enemies, but yet we were reconciled. You know, reconciliation is when the problem between enemies has been resolved and they're brought to one mind, they're brought to agreement. Now notice he says, if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God, how? By the death of his son. Here's the love of Christ. The spotless Lamb of God 
the creator of heaven and earth, the one that is one with the Father, the one who is described in Hebrews as holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. This very one died for his enemies, and you are his enemies. I'm his enemy. By nature, apart from his uh, unmerited favor, apart from his purpose to have grace upon us, we are actively his enemies. Those that crucified him. I realized that there were those that uh, were not loved of God, that were involved in in uh, doing all they could to harm him, but there were also his own children involved in that who were actively enemies at the time. You remember that centurion soldier said after Jesus, I believe it was after he gave up the ghost, remember what he said? Surely this was the Son of God. <laughs> Certainly the Apostle Paul was an enemy. And Jesus made that clear when he said, as much as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it to me. You're my enemy, the Lord says to Paul. Now, I hope you understand that love of Christ. If you didn't hear Brother John Morgan's sermon this morning, I would encourage you to get a recording of it and listen to it because uh, that message alone explained the love of God. And he presented it uh, in a way to cause you to appreciate that God loves even you. The love of Christ ought to motivate us. So then notice what he says. So go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For the love of Christ constraineth us because... I've already given you some reason as to why it should motivate us, but in this particular context, notice what he says. The love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge. Now, to me, it's interesting that the word judge is used there. That, that's not, ordinarily, this is not a setting in which the word judge would be used. What he's saying here is we're able to discern something. We're able to recognize something. We're able to reach a definite conclusion about a matter. And he says, here's the, here's the discernment we have. Here's the conclusion we reach. He says that uh, the love of Christ constraineth us, for that we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Now, we could take the time to prove from the scriptures that the word all here does not mean everyone without exception. You know, we could turn to scriptures such as John chapter 6 when Jesus said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. But for the sake of time and knowing that I believe, or I believe, all of you understand that point, that God had an elect people, a vast 
countless number of people he loved in Christ before the world began and they're out of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue under heaven and Jesus came to save this vast innumerable multitude from all ages and that's exactly what he did. He obtained eternal redemption for all that the Father gave him. You understand that. So he says... I'm motivated by the love of Christ because I thus judge, first of all, that he died for all. Look at Isaiah chapter uh, 53 and verse 6. This one verse makes that point so clear, and if you're familiar with Isaiah 53, you recognize it is a prophecy of the sufferings that Christ would go through uh, for the salvation of his people. And in Isaiah 53, verse 6, listen, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. Not some of us, not most of us. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We, again, you could put the word all there, all we have turned everyone to his own way. And what did God do about it? The Lord hath laid on him, that is on Christ, the iniquity of us all. You went astray, but the Lord laid on him your iniquity. What does that mean? That means, as Peter said, that he bare your sins in his body on the tree. That means that God poured out his wrath for your sin on him, and because he was without sin, he could satisfy the wrath of God, and being your substitute, suffering in your place, you were reconciled to God. We thus judge that if Christ died for all, and he did, didn't he? He died for all his people. But that's only half of it. The love of Christ constraineth us. It urges us. It motivates us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then... We're all dead. Uh, none of the sufferings of Christ were wasted. <laughs> he wouldn't die for all if all were not dead, would he? He died for those that needed to be saved. Now, everyone is separated from God. Every member of humanity by nature is separated from God. The only difference is, you know, Jesus said, they that, are, uh, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. And as he was making a spiritual application there, he wasn't saying there's some people that aren't spiritually sick and there's some that are. He was saying there's some people that don't realize they're sick. And those that don't realize they're sick, like Brother John Morgan was talking about, the Pharisees, they didn't feel like they needed a physician because they didn't feel like there was anything wrong with them. 
They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. There, this is a, a side note I'll give you, Jesus in that statement endorsed using doctors and medicine. Did you know that? Because you can't use an untrue literal to teach a true spiritual. Jesus said those that are sick physically, those that are, he says the sick need a physician, not the whole, and, but the spiritual application is there are those that don't realize they're sick. So if Christ died for all, then we're all dead. And I always go to the, the verse I drilled in my children's head. They're all here tonight. Romans 5:12. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. If Christ died for all, if that be the case, and he said he did, then we can conclude that all were dead. See, nothing Christ did was in vain. He didn't overdo anything. He didn't underdo anything. He came knowing exactly what he came to do, and that's what he did. He said, uh, he said in Hebrews chapter 10, and he's referencing one of the Psalms, he says, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. Not something separate and apart from the Father's will. He said, Lo, I'm come to do thy will, O God. And it says, He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. He came to do the Father's will. Oh, our doctrine is so simple, isn't it? Oh, the Bible's a book that requires study, and there's, there's, you can spend your whole life studying the doctrine of salvation, and you'll never absorb all the scriptures say about it. But we need to, to realize that the concept is simple. That's, that's the very heart of what our worship is all about, isn't it? That Jesus loved me. Jesus came and had God's wrath. He had our iniquities laid on him. And as a result of that, we've been freed from sin. The love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And since he died for us, there's something he'll do for us in time. See, almost every major doctrine of the Bible has more than one application. See, Jesus freed you from sin through his death, burial, and resurrection. That means he delivered you from the consequences of sin. That doesn't mean sin doesn't bother you anymore. It means you're freed from sin in that it doesn't determine your destiny anymore. You're not ruined by it. 
But he says, if one died for all, then we're all dead. Jesus saved us from that, but then we personally experience deliverance from that death when we're born again. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. You say, Brother Buddy, we've heard this preaching many times. But what I want you to see tonight in particular is in a world where we're so discouraged, where things go wrong, we have all kind of problems, it is this core doctrine that constrains us. That you can go home tonight and you know based on God's word that your salvation is secure. He's given us an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, and fadeth not away. You know, the simplest way I've found to rightly divide the word of truth is to just say anything that's of God is certain. You agree with that? Anything that's of God is certain. Anything that includes what Buddy Abernathy does may or may not happen. You believe that? Anything up to me may or may not happen. So I'm so glad that my eternal salvation doesn't include me because I may or may not get saved. Now look at the next verse. Verse 15. Notice here comes the very practical application. And that he died for all. That they which live, that is, here's those children, those elect, all that the Father giveth him, he died for them, and they've been born of the Spirit. He died for all that they which live should not henceforth. The word henceforth means from right now forward. And I believe one of the lessons we need to get out of this is that the henceforth here is not so much from the point that you've been born of the Spirit, but it's more the point from the point which, in which you come to understand this truth. When you come to understand that all were dead in sins, but Christ died for all His people, and when you understand you've been made alive in Christ, when you've been converted to that true doctrine, especially if you've lived under a doctrine of bondage and misery, thinking you had to make your own way to heaven and secure your salvation, when you come to understand this truth, that he died for all, the motivation will be that henceforth, I should not live unto myself. That he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So I'll ask the question, are you living unto yourself? A lot of people in the world are. A lot of God's children are. Sometimes we are. 
He says the very reason for this truth that I've tried to set forth tonight is that you would not from henceforth live unto yourselves, but live unto him which died for them. He died for you and rose again. So let's, in our, the last part of our time tonight, I just want to read, I think it's three portions of Scripture that give you some detail on living unto yourself versus living unto God. And you just, as it says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, you just examine yourself whether you be in the faith. You know, it's, we, I enjoy examining others, don't you? But the Bible doesn't ever ask me to examine others. It always asks me to examine myself. That's why a lot of people refuse to go to the doctor because they're the ones that are going to be examined and they're going to be told what's wrong with them and what they should have done that the doctor told them to do the last time they went that they haven't done yet. We don't like ourselves being examined. Romans chapter 6 and verse 12, Paul says, Let not, that means don't allow sin to reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. That's simply saying that in my life, in this uh, temporal body, I can allow sin to dominate in such a way that it determines my behavior. You know, I had that almost happen tonight. We got to church a little bit late, and on the way to the church, my phone rang, and Tina said, I heard your phone ring, and I just thought, well, I'm not going to bother with that until after church. Well, we got here, and uh, Chloe's keys were on the table, and I had the other set, and her and Liddy were still at home. So guess what? Tina had to go and get them. Well, it took some work for sin not to reign in my mortal body. You know, you have to catch yourself and say, I'm not going to allow my actions to be controlled by that sin that dwelleth in me. I wanted to get aggravated about it, and I just had to go, John Morgan, that's where you at. That's what was wrong when you walked up to me out there. I was trying to deal with that. Let not sin reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof neither yield ye your members notice this now talking about your body parts the way you live your life don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God notice you can you can yield Either way, you can yield to temptation or you can yield yourselves to God. Listen to this now. As those that are alive from the dead, don't act like the dead. Don't behave like the spiritually dead. Paul said, I believe in uh, a latter chapter here in Romans, he says, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead. You know, the funeral home is not a place for somebody that's asleep. You don't want to be buried asleep, do you? 
That's something I've always been afraid of, that, you know, they're going to bury me and I'm asleep. I'm not really dead. That, that would be a frightening thing, wouldn't it? A, a person who's asleep doesn't belong in the funeral home, but when they're asleep, they look just like those bodies in the funeral home. You have to get really close to say, now, is he dead or alive? That's why Paul says to God's people, awake thou that sleepest. Get up from the dead of this world. Get up from the spiritual death and the things that, that absorb the minds of, of those that have no fear of God. Wake up and get away from that and God will give you what? Life? No, light. He'll give you direction. So he says, yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. And here's some of the greatest motivation. Here's a point that you've got to believe old Baptist doctrine to, un to understand this application I'm about to make. Verse 12, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Well, wait a minute, which way is it? He says, don't allow sin to reign, meaning that I can allow it. And now in verse 14, he says, by the way, sin shall not have dominion over you. But then he explains it. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. Sin may reign to the point of ruining my life here, but it will not in the end have dominion over me because I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. That's why the most disobedient, wicked child of God can die in his sin and instantly be in heaven because he's not under the law, he's under grace, and because Christ destroyed him that have the power of sin, that is the devil, therefore sin, though it may destroy him here many times over, it will not in the end have dominion over him. Oh, I love that, don't you? Doesn't that motivate you? Doesn't that constrain you? Now look at some similar language in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Paul says that you put off concerning the former conversation, that means your old lifestyle, that you put off with regard to that old lifestyle the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, notice that phrase. He doesn't say be renewed in your spirit. He says be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the way you think. Be renewed in the way you look at things. Be renewed in your attitude. He says you've got to put off the old man. I heard of a, a culture one time and that dealt with murderers in this way. The person they murdered was strapped to their back and they had to live with that person strapped to their back for a certain amount of time. That'd get pretty bad after a while, wouldn't it? 
That's, that's one of the ways they punished them is they had to wear the dead person on their back, carry them everywhere they went. Oh, just think how awful that would be. See, you've got an old dead man in you. You've got a man in you that's corrupt with sin. He's decaying with sin. And it's so bad that one day your body will die because it's having such a, a bad effect on you. But he says here that we can put off that old man. You've got to do it every day. Sometimes, some of you, like me, you've got to do it every five minutes. <laughs> you've got to just keep putting off that old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, how are you supposed to think? You're supposed to think the way God tells you to think. Not the way you want to behave. Not the way that you're prone to think. But think according to God's word. You read the book of Proverbs. And it teaches you specifically how to deal with a fool and how to deal with a bad neighbor. It's, it's not dealing with the way you feel like responding, is it? It's telling you the right way to respond, the, the mind that you should have. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man. See, we're talking about wearing outwardly what's on the inside. In uh, Galatians chapter 3, about verse 24, it says, For as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now think about baptism. The only way it's ever done in the Bible is immersion. When a person's plunged completely under the water and brought up again. That is the the uh, initial step that you take when you're professing to everybody watching that I am putting on Christ. Be nice if he stayed on, wouldn't it? But it doesn't stay. You gotta, you gotta keep on putting him on. Put on the new man, which after God, listen to this now, is created. Now, wait a minute. This new man that I'm to put on, I'm not the one that put it there to start with. It says this new man is created in righteousness and true holiness. There's something in you that is righteous and holy because it's, it doesn't have anything to do with you putting it there or you, uh, you making it. It's, it's there of God. You're a new creature in Christ. And Paul described it in Philippians 1 as that good work in you which he will perform until the day of Jesus Christ. Put on the new man. I tell you, you can ruin yourself, ruin your marriage, ruin your relationship with your children if you let sin reign and if you wear the old man all the time. You can ruin everything in your life. And then look at Ephesians chapter 5, and this will be our last little section of Scripture I'll read. But it really focuses on the positive. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14. Here's the verse we were 
quoting a while back. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and rise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Man, there is so much in that. This is where I need to start sometime when I preach. But just, let's just hit the highlights of it. See then that you walk circumspectly. That means walking accurately with determined steps you ever heard someone say well i'm gonna do something even if it's wrong no don't do that don't just walk anywhere you can i'm gonna walk i don't know where i'm going i don't know how to get there but i'm just gonna walk no circumspectly means you are living see the word walk generally determined uh, is is referring to your Normal mode of life. That's what walking is, your normal mode of life. And he says, see then that you walk circumspectly. And he's, he's going to define that in just a minute. He says, uh, verse 17, he says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. If you want to walk accurately, in the way you raise your children, see what the Bible says and do it that way specifically as you can. Some people say, well, I'm, I think I read a verse in the Bible. Doesn't the Bible say, spare the rod, spoil the child? Well, that, that does refer to a biblical principle, but don't just quote something you've heard. Read what the verse says because there's usually more in it than what you've heard somebody say it said. Walk circumspectly. Somebody says, well, there's one thing about a woman. You'll never understand a woman. Well, you're commanded to. The Bible says in Peter, husbands dwell with them according to knowledge. Learn about them. Live with them based on what you know about them. You see, that's what it means to walk circumspectly. Walk exactly. We apply that in so many other areas of life. But then we'll just kind of stumble through our spiritual life sometimes. So he says in verse 15, See then you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. You know what that means? You know, one of the things I'll probably do tonight or, or maybe tomorrow since I have one of those rare opportunities when all of my family is here is we'll probably sit down and talk about some church things. Talk about family matters. That's redeeming the time. Buy up the opportunity to cultivate things that will help you walk circumspectly. You know, I, 
I talk to my children once in a while about things in their life, and the only purpose of that is I want us to walk circumspectly, understanding what the will of the Lord is. And if they do that, they can go off to college and it won't ruin them. They can work somewhere where there's several ungodly people and they won't be absorbed by their lifestyle because we can walk circumspectly. So I encourage you along this line. May the love of Christ and your understanding of it, like Brother John Morgan preached this morning, May the love of Christ constrain you because you understand I was dead. I was a goner. But he died for me and now I'm alive and I can live and should live life not unto myself. I don't think any of us need to work on that, do we? I don't need to improve on living unto myself, but I need to do a lot of improvement in living unto him that loved me and died for me. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.